In the third millennium, the world changed. Climate, nations, all were in upheaval. The earth transformed into a poisonous scorched desert known as the Cursed Earth. Millions of people were crowded into a few megacities, where roaming bands of street savages created violence the justice system could not control. Law, as we know it, collapsed. And from the decay rose a new order, a society ruled by a new elite force. A force with the power to dispense both justice and punishment. They were the police, jury, and executioner, all in one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice with a very special episode about Judge Dread. Now, Cast Dice is a podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that we are experiencing today. Now, I have said many times that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. It can lead to uh, a serious case of not knowing what to play next. I mean, you don't want to miss out. There's just too many good things. Now, normally when this podcast is recorded, I have a guest on Skype, and uh, it is just usually myself and a guest or guests via the internet and my little dog, Jim. But today, I am very happy to announce that we have an in-the-studio guest. Uh, you will know this gentleman as longtime bolt-action Chinese player. Um, he has been on Cast Ice before, and uh, like me, he is a massive 2000 AD enthusiast, uh, at least uh, on the tabletop. John, welcome back to Cast Dice. Oh, hi, Brad. Uh, thanks for having me back. Dude, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, now, John, you, and we are going to get into the game itself in a little bit, uh, but first we're going to talk about Dread sort of as an idea and sort of how we know Dread and where we came to it. But um, before we do that, you've been painting up Dread and Strontium dog models, um, the Warlord 2000 AD models for quite a while now, and they look fantastic, man. Um, you want to talk to us a little bit about what, what you like about the models, um, the models themselves, maybe something like that? Because I know a lot of people know the old Dread models, um, and these are a very different animal, aren't they? They are. So um, so uh, I picked up the um, Strontium Dog models uh, soon after their release. Um, was it, did it, were they released last year? Was it 2019? It was 2019, yeah. yep. It was, it, this, yeah. So they did tr uh, Strontium Dog one year. I think it was 2018 even, and mm. then Dread came out at the end of 2019. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I picked them up fairly soon after release, um, and uh, look, they are, they're lovely models. They're, um, they're metal. Mm -hmm. uh, they're 32-millimeter uh, scale, whatever. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Bigger than bolt action. Significantly yeah. larger. Bigger than bolt action, um, but, but quite human proportion. They're not. Mm. They're not super heroic uh, in their proportions. Right. I would say they don't have big heads unless they're supposed to. That's right. right. Uh, which some of them, some of them do. do. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I say um, that. It, the detail on them is because they're not super deformed. Because they're not super heroic. Um, they. Uh, quite fine in their detail in a lot of cases, which can be tricky um, mm. when it comes to priming and painting. They're very easy to over prime. Oh, okay, good to good to know. As I'm about to do some priming, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Look, especially faces and and so forth. I found were uh, mm -hmm. were quite fine detail. Um, they're also they have 
uh, and I know some people care about this more than others, but they have uh, integrated bases or putting bases. Oh, do they? They do. Uh, Mm. And they have thick, heavy, uh, very well-attached integrated bases. I'm looking at some now. Yes, they do. Those are very thick. Now, you're talking the strontium dog models. I am talking the strontium dog models, right, because that's where I started. Right. So recently, of course, we've had the release of the follow-up game, Judge Dredd, which is using the virtually identical rule system. Right. Um, fully cross-compatible. Um, and the new models are uh, proportions and and um, so forth are the same, mm-hmm. um, but the casting material uh, is quite different. Um, so the new Dread models are using something that Warlord is calling Warlord Resin. Yeah, it it is... It's, but it isn't like your standard hard resin that we're used to with as far as their tanks go and their no. vehicles, right? It's a different animal. It is. And in fact, uh, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Judge Dredd's bike, so probably all the vehicles in this game, I'm going to speculate, but mm-hmm. the bike's the one that I've seen, is in a harder resin. Oh, nice. That's yeah, yeah. more familiar. Um, but the... The hue, well, the, the characters mm-hmm. are in this slightly rubbery um, resin material that yeah. I haven't seen before. It's it's a little soft plastic almost, but mm. it's not, if that makes sense. So, uh, for example, you can cut it quite easily. Mm. Um, so if you want to cut it apart and reposition mm. models, you can do that, I mean, really easily. Mm. Um, you can use it with just a, a sharp hobby blade. You don't even need to use snips. But... By the same token, if you are used to clearing flash off the back mm. of your hobby blade, um, it can lead to feathering, right? Yeah, so it's got this funny habit of yeah, feathering or, or tearing slightly. Mm. Um, I haven't had luck scraping the mold lines. I've had to cut them, which, you know, yeah. um, is you, you then risk damaging the, the detail. It can be detailed. problematic. Well, yeah, yeah, so... Uh, I'm still trying to to figure the material out. It is different from mm-hmm. uh, other models that I've worked with. Yeah. Um, so I found that a little challenging. Um, the other, the other, my only other criticism of them is uh, that they're flat cast. So they're. Yeah. Uh, did you want to speak to what flatcast is? Yeah. So uh, for those of us who have been wargaming a million years, um, in the olden days, you often had miniatures that were one piece, um, one piece metals. And uh, when you did that, you often saw models holding guns to their chests. And if you sort of laid them on their backs, you would often be able to, I mean, they would have width, of course, but it would be relatively flat. Um, you know, all of the sort of the motion of the model would be, you know, sideways, not necessarily coming out at you. Um, with, of course, the advent of um, more models having arms that were removable, you got to see more motion um, and more, how should I say, um, I guess model parts extending out on the axis that is sort of perpendicular to the motion and the movement of the rest of the model, if that makes sense. So, um, so a lot of these are, at least in the core box, mm. uh, and, I, and I believe that once, and I, I know I, you've told me this, yep. and I know other people have mentioned it since um, we've played, that some of the newer models mm. um, outside of the core box 
do come in multi-part. So they mm. do have a, a greater range of movement. But I think because the models uh, for the core box themselves were put in there for... Um, I think they call it in the UK high street sales mm. so that you can put it in bookstores. You can put it in, you know, in the, in a shop window and little Johnny can come in and pick it up. Um, it's like the new games workshop, uh, plug and play miniatures mm. that you just, in all their corsets, you basically stick them together with your hand and off you go with this. They're already together. All you have to do is slap some paint on them and off you go, or you can just play with them unpainted mm. if you're you know, unfamiliar with how to do that, if you're new to the hobby, so to speak. But it allows you to get in and playing the game quickly. So in that regard, I think it's very clever. Mm. Um, and also, I think by putting this sort of resin plasticky material, it is, um, I mean, it is, you open it up and the, the pieces look like board game pieces. So if you are used to board games and you're not used to tabletop wargaming, I think that these models are perfect for that. And I think that's what Warlord is shooting for. But it does lead to, now for the judges, it doesn't bother me. I know it bothers you for the senior judge. But mm. for two of the eight um, gang members that come in the basic Dread Core Box, one of them has problematic hips. I, I'm not sure if he's broken his hip mm. and he's sort of limping along or the other guy. But I mean, yeah, it doesn't, it's fine. Um, I think a little more 3D would be great. Um, and I think we'll see that in a lot more of the additional models like the uh, city defense um, mm. and maybe the additional judges and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I can certainly speak to the... Um, so I've, I've picked up the... Um, I want to say it's the Street Judges pack. Oh, I did think you? that's what it's called, mm -hmm. um, which comes with, I think, five additional judges, mm -hmm. um, four of whom have separate arms cool um so yeah look they are much more dynamic models um haven't had a chance to paint them up yet but they look great and whilst we're saying this and i i think some of this might be coming off as you know fairly negative um we've talked about the issues with the resin and and the the flat cast um the models do look great uh, I, I, I want to put that out there because... Th yeah, they look really good. I'm holding yeah. them right now. Yeah. And there's some fantastic detail on these models mm. that I, I'm really looking forward to painting. And even some of these 2D models, I sort of sort of flat cast, not 2D. Um, there's a guy who's sort of pulling a gun out of his holster, sort of side, holding his gun sideways with his mm. head turned. And, you know, that's just a pose that I don't think I've seen on a flat pack model before. Mm. And looking at it, Damn, that looks good. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, almost all the models just, I mean, it's really cleverly done. Mm. So unless you, you know, are, I mean, so, some of them are very flat, but some of them, they all have the detail, though. Mm. So mm. now you've been painting these. Yes. So how does the detail paint up? So I haven't had a chance to paint the gang members yet. Um, mm -hmm. I've painted the judges that come in the core box. Um, so mm -hmm. the two judges. Um had a real blast painting them. Part of that is uh, because the judges are so iconic and and their their uniforms are, uh, you know, there's there's they're, they're brightly coloured or there's the the, the dark base, the brightly coloured um, knee pads and and gloves mm -hmm. and so forth, and the uh, the the gold epaulets and whatnot, uh, or shoulder pads. Uh, they're they're just a real pleasure to, to paint up. Mm -hmm. It's a, quite a simple color scheme, yeah. but you can do a lot with, with it. it. Again, with the, the detail of the model mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, you know I had a crack at non-metallic metal on the, mm-hmm. the shoulder pads and so forth, which was a blast. And they paint up really nicely, and they look fantastic on the tabletop. Oh man, they look so good. We played a game earlier this mm. week and took some pictures. So if you haven't seen the pictures and you want to see what we're talking about, uh, please go to the Cast Eyes Facebook page. Uh, and there was a post this week. If you just type in Judge Dread, you will find. Uh, if you look, you will find pictures of that game. And man, so much fun. And I think what really made that was we played it on painted city terrain, mm-hmm. and your beautiful models with that. I mean, nothing like playing it. You know, playing the right models on the right board. Mm-hmm. And when you have those beautiful models on that table to start mm-hmm. with, yeah. damn, it looked it looked the part. It yeah. was so good. So I think we've sort of gone down a tangent a little mm-hmm. bit um, in that we've talked about the models, but maybe we should backtrack and talk about Judge Dredd. Mm. Now, you and I both have very different Dread experiences, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily want to bog down too far into our history um, with Dread as much as I want to get to Dread's history, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But how do you know Dread? When did sort of Dread come into your mm. life? So... I've I've had a bit of a um, uh, scattered relationship uh, with the series um, since quite young. Uh, mm-hmm. I know a lot of you know you hear British people talking about it, talk about growing up with the mm-hmm. comics, and you know being a, a really core part of their yeah um, their adolescence. Um, I so I did not have access to many comics um and the comics that i did have access to growing up were nowhere near as violent as (laughs) dread um very much not okay in our household um and i think my first contact with dread was in a small stack of comics that my older cousins had Mm -hmm. uh and I remember flicking through and just being blown away by how violent and mm-hmm. gory and, you know, and I can't even tell you which Dread comic it was because in my head, it's all jumbled up with a Conan comic that mm-hmm. was in there and a, a yeah. bunch of other stuff, which all of which I just remember being super violent. Yes. Um, but I remember the iconic Dread helmet of course, the yeah. uniform, the mm-hmm. look, like that was just burned into my brain. Like yeah. you see that once and it's so striking. That, exactly. Um, Carlos Esquera's design, you mm-hmm. know, it's, you know why Dread works. You see that, like it's a bizarre concoction of elements. It like, is, yeah. You know, and we'll talk about this a bit more in, in when we talk about the movies and how yeah. it translates mm-hmm. into, into the real world. But it, if you take it, Part by part, it looks like it shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. For, for some reason, it really works. Yeah, and exactly. And it's striking and exciting and, and you know, uh, so iconic. Absolutely. Uh, man, I can't echo that enough. Um, now, you were in, while you were in Australia, I was in the U.S., and we were coming from this in mm-hmm. different angles, but I was a predominantly Marvel guy. Um, I read a lot of comics growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I mean, I read very few Marvel comics until I moved to Japan. And when I moved to Japan, um, I bought comics on U.S. military bases, mm-hmm. and they were only Marvel and D.C. Mm-hmm. So 2000 A.D. was not something that I was aware of. But when I moved back from Japan... Um, the friend that introduced me to gaming as a whole and introduced me mm-hmm. to basically comic books um, 
had a stack of 2000 AD comics. And it was the art that grabbed me right mm. off the bat. Like the old school dread art is so, so iconic. I know we're throwing that around that word around a lot today, but it, it was, I mean, it totally got me. And as, as a early teenager, I could not get my head around, um, in a good way. Uh, you know, yeah, it was dark. It was violent, but there was a sense of humor. And I mean, a really mm. wacky one mm. when you named, and I've mentioned this when I, when I did the other dread cast, the Enith Blighton block yes. i mean what naming uh, you know one of the city blocks after you know beloved mm. children's author amazing um you know i how can i get more of that dark sense of humor but you know there was always you know this sort of tongue-in-cheek almost uh, especially in the naming of mm. things putting jimmy carter's face on the on mount rushmore you know things like that it just i thought it was you know it just it caught me and i read all of his comics and i, I collected a few 2000 ad's um but that was right sort of at the end of my comic collecting sort of life and i, I think gaming sort of took over as my main hobby and at which point i was also playing in bands and so i think that comic sort of mm -hmm. took the back seat but years later um i got a job at games workshop and the very first time um, you know, we would get bonuses occasionally in the form of little bags of metal um, in my department. And the very first time I was ever given a bag and told I can go into the metal room and I can fill up my little baggie um, and have a certain amount of weight of lead, um, I can get anything I want. And I literally spent two to three hours in the metal room going through every, because this is the first time I'd been let in properly, going down each and every shelf, looking at every miniature that Games Workshop had and was making. And tons of that stuff was out of print and wasn't in their catalogs, but it was still in the metal room. Mm -hmm. And it was going, oh my God, <laughs> this is in there. Oh my God, this is in there. But the thing that absolutely jumped at me was uh, the Arbites models. And I found, you know, I think it was like six boxes of Arbites. <laughs> Each box had one miniature, but was just filled with that miniature. And mm -hmm. we're talking like, you know, uh, like, a, like a, not a tackle box. It was like, it was a deep box where you would, like if you go to Bunnings or Home Depot, where you would get like screws or nails. Like it was this deep box filled with Arbites. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yep, I will get that. So I got um, almost my full... Um, Arbites Army in my one bag mm -hmm. and went, yes. <laughs> and back then I was a very poor painter um, and I sprayed it all black and I painted all the shoulder pads gold and I, and it, mm. I painted the little red bits. So it looked very much like the Stallone mm -hmm. Dread because I wasn't sure I could paint the comic Dread, but mm -hmm. I wanted to have a Dread Army. And in Citadel Journal, there was an Arbites Army list. So I painted up a bunch of chimeras to be... Um, little uh, police tanks and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, so I played that army for years. And I, ironically, um, the very first person I played with that army once I'd painted it was John Stollard, owner of Warlord Games. Mm -hmm. So it all comes full circle. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got to yell, I am the law, and you know, do all those <laughs> terrible things. But at the same time, I hunted down a bunch of Judge Dredd comics and got fell in love with dread again uh but yeah man i i've I loved dread I, i'm sorry to have let that army go but it was really poorly painted mm -hmm. um and of course these days those models are worth their weight in gold i probably should have just stripped them and kept them but mm -hmm. anyway moving on 
if we get into dread though, mm. I mean, the comics hooked me, but then the the images from the Stallone movie. Now, I know this is a really unpopular <laughs> opinion. I actually don't mind the Stallone movie. <laughs> Clearly, I painted an entire army about it. Um, now, of course, everyone says that Carl Urban's 2012 Dread is a better movie. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about mm-hmm. Dread as a movie character because that's how a lot of people yeah. from you know, the gaming standpoint tend to know it, especially in the United States. Yeah. So, yeah, and look, absolutely. So my, my first contact with Dread was certainly that, that little cache of comics. Um, but my, my next, or, you know, where, where I was then reminded of that character after that was the release of the 95 mm-hmm. Stallone Judge Dread movie, which I saw in cinemas. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Um, and look, it is, it was for a long time, um, the main thing I associated with dread until I went back to the comics, Mm reinvestigated, you know, uh, started reading again. So, um, and I think for a lot of people, that's probably the case. There's probably a lot of people out there who Mm -hmm. have seen the 95 movie, have seen the 2012 movie, um, are aware that Dredd is a comic book character, but maybe haven't read very much. Um, And yeah, look, it it is, despite the fact there's 40 years of comic books, Mm -hmm. you could say we can just ignore the movies. Um, I think for a lot of people, that is is the Dredd they know. Exactly. So I don't think we, as you say, I don't think we can ignore it. Mm. Um, now, uh, I'm going to sort of throw out a few things. Mm. Um, some of the things, uh, so let's let's talk movies, shall we, gang? Mm. And you can play along at home. Uh, now, I'm going to go first, and I'm going mm. to throw it to you. And now this is completely unscripted, and uh-huh. I'm throwing you in the deep end here. But yeah. I want you to give me um, three to five things, and they may be some of the things that I mentioned, that you absolutely or that you like about Stallone mm-hmm. Dread, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. maybe a couple of things that you don't like. Um, mm-hmm. The object here is to try and be more positive, <laughs> um, which I know can be difficult when talking about that movie. I get it. A lot of people tell me it's one of the worst movies ever. Mm. I disagree. <laughs> um, but I, let's let's talk about some of the things that that movie gets right, and then maybe we can compare it with the, the Urban Dread, and then... So I'm going to start mentioning back and forth and we'll ping pong. So mm-hmm. I'm going to start talking about the things I like. First yep. things first. Um, besides the fact that we, I mean, it's got an amazing intro. I read mm. it at the beginning of the show. It's read by James Earl Jones. And while that's playing, you get the Dread theme. Now, we went to play Judge Dread the other day. And I was thinking, oh, while we're playing, I'll put on the mm-hmm. Dread music. And I put on the music from the 2012 movie. And it was just like guitar riffs, drum beats, mm-hmm. and noise. Um, it is very timely. Uh, it's very of its time, mm. but it doesn't feel like if you're going to play a game on a tabletop, I'm not sure that's the soundtrack you want to put on, mm. especially, you know, having just rewatched Indiana Jones and a bunch of the Star Wars movies, um, you know, those iconic themes that run through those movies, mm. dread. Judge Dread, the, the mm. Stallone Dread. Mm. My God, I I love that theme, and I know people crap on that movie, but I get that theme song stuck in my head all the time to this day, mm. and I love it. Um, do you? I mean, look, I mean, ninety-five Judge Dread soundtrack has a song by The Cure. Now, not exactly the best match ever, but yeah, no, but 
you know, this is... I mean, what can you say about that, right? Like, yeah. Um, the, it has uniforms designed by Versace. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, like, there's stuff about the 95 Dread mm-hmm. where you're like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. If I was... Reading about this, yeah. like, you know, this is what's coming. This is who's involved. Yeah. You know, Stallone aside, but uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe Rob Schneider. Anyway, we'll get to that. Definitely but, Rob Schneider. Um, but, you know, there's things about that film that you're like, wow, really? Like, this is yeah. this is a huge get and this is a, a amazing stuff, right. right? The cast is outstanding. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the one thing... So I'm going to I'm going to jump into one thing I like yeah please about Dread 95 and I, like the initial world building like there is look it is a bit knockoff blade runner yes okay like it is it, it, <laughs> yeah but dread itself is a bit knockoff blade runner i mean i mean the, sorry which which Vice came versa, first perhaps? the yeah, other way yeah, yeah. yeah sorry um, that's what i mean yeah but yeah look the when when that film starts and there's the the hover cars and the mm. neon and and you know all the punks wandering around yes. and everything, um, it immediately creates this world. And yeah, there's some sketchy special effects yes. right out the gate, which mm-hmm. you, you know you look at today and go, "Ooh, gee, I wish you hadn't done wish that. You'd, wish you'd gone practical on that yeah, one." Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is far more. I think evocative of Mega City One, yes, of the comics, uh, than 2012 Dread, mm-hmm. which kind of just feels like today only in a bad city. Yeah. So it, I, I just going off what you're saying. This is actually my next point. Mega City One in the comics mm. feels claustrophobic. It mm. feels. I mean, there's there's lots of neon, at least from the art, from the comics, um, from what I've seen. It it feels dirty it feels claustrophobic mm. there's all that neon and i think the 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 judge dread uh 2000 sorry the 1995 movie captures mega city one mm. way better yeah. um now as you say flying cars it matches the comic book completely the the dread from carl urban's dread the the 2012 one has drones which is very mm. modern mm. today but if you look at the cars i mean the bad guys are driving a vw van from the mm. 80s <laughs> i mean if this is the far future, I understand if, mm. if it's, you know, the, the world's gone down the gurgler, you're probably not going to have a lot of new cars. Mm. But you would think that there would be newer cars. Everything that you mm. see out there isn't just what you could find on the road now. It's sort of mm. what you would find on the road 20 years ago. Uh, it felt very dated. And the lawgiver that um, Dredd's writing in Stallone Dread looks a lot more like the comic mm. than than the the Carl Urban dread. Now, yeah. I, again, I I think that the the vehicles, the world, mm. Mega City One, it feels like dr- robots going around selling recycled food. It feels to me much more like yeah, Mega City One yeah. from the comic book. And I I like that a lot. Now, is it perfect? Absolutely not. Mm. However, I think it's a closer representation. Mm. I, I I agree. Uh I think there might be something to be said for having dread set in a more contemporary world or in a world that resembles our world a little yeah. bit more because that might speak to 
maybe how close we are to Dred's world yeah. right now, yeah. which is a, a bit of an uncomfortable feeling. But, yeah. you know, there might be, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but there might be a comment in there about, oh, absolutely. like, hey, this is not very far off anymore. Yeah. This is not flying cars. This is not Blade Runner, which, right? I, which, which is, did Blade Runner just happen to, on our, uh, yes. the year of Blade Runner? Yes. yes. So, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like the future... The, the bits that Dread gets right might not have been the flying cars. Right. It might have just been the authoritarianism. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's, let's, so I think my next comment is um, the Stallone Dread has a lot of nods uh, to the comics. The director was a massive Judge Dread fan and fought hard for the project. And it went through and he was very excited and he had all these ideas that he worked with the, the writers to incorporate a, as many. It was almost as like he was trying to cram in as many Judge Dread mm. storylines into one movie as possible. Now, Judge Dread sort of operates on two levels on the comic from my reading. Um, and usually it's either... You know, this global event like uh, Mega City One versus Solve Meg having, you know, a war that will end all wars or, you know, the judge, uh, the dark judges taking over an entire city block and killing everything. And then they have to go back to the dark judges Mm. universe. I mean, those are sort of big overarching, you know, Mm. mega events. Um, Judge Caligula taking over the city and needing to be overthrown, that kind of thing. Mm. But Dredd also operates on a, oh, there's a person who's broken the law and then mm. Dredd has to find them. And in finding them, he solves, you know, solves the crime like a Batman or a, a Sherlock mm. Holmes kind of situation with a bigger gun. Um, and I think the Carl Urban Dredd is far more the small scale. Mm. It is very much the I'm going to solve this situation um, I'm going to figure out what the mystery is. Why are mm. they after us? Oh, it's because they're the, it's the distribution for uh, slow-mo. Let's mm. solve that problem. At the end, everyone's punished appropriately. Movie's over. Mm. Meanwhile, Stallone Dread almost ends Mega City 1. And it f- both feel appropriate, though. Now, I-, I think the big problem with doing that is, on one hand... Trying to cram too much in mm. overcrowds it and makes things meaningless. Like the reporter side story about the, you know, he's mentioned a couple times and then Rico dressed as Dredd shoots him. Mm. Spoilers. And um, I mean, it's an interesting plot point, but I'm pretty sure that was a comic storyline. Yeah. And they really wanted, you know, that should have been teased out. Um, mm. However, it was sort of introduced, introduced, dead. Okay, next. And it, you kind of wish there was more to it. And mm. So part of that was the director trying to cram too much in, mm. and then part of that was also the 1990s where they would take the name of something and sort of the look of something, mm. X-Men, and put it in a movie, mm. but be, make it completely different. Um, because, heaven forbid, the, uh, the audience mm. who likes mm. this thing might get what they <laughs> like about that thing, G.I. Joe movie. Um, you know, I've, it's just frustrating that that was such a... So so prevalent for so long, uh, Fantastic Four movie. But um, mm-hmm. if we get into, oh, I, I don't know. Um, Stallone got involved, and Stallone was part of that problem because Stallone wanted to Stallone eyes Dread, and you got the idea that maybe he read four or five pages mm-hmm. of Dread and then knew what he wanted, 
and did it in a Stallone way. Now, I am a Stallone fan. I like his movies. Uh, I like this movie. Uh, however, the fact that, you know, and I guess I'm getting into some of the negatives here. I mean, the fact that he takes his helmet off like five minutes mm. in is massively problematic. Yep. The fact that he's showing all the emotions in the world, mm. really? Um, it isn't dread. And if you could say, well, I've heard people say, you know, it would be better to have put Carl Urban's dread mm. in the other dread movie. But I don't think that would work either. Mm. Uh, I, like if you almost if you kept Stallone in the helmet and you put a real mm. costume on him like that isn't like some weird Stallone like stylized jumpsuit well, with giant shoulder pads. So. I, I don't know. Uh, y- y- so I'm going to jump in, and I, I'm going to bring some positivity to your negativity here. I don't know around around yeah. the '95 dread. So I actually think the uniform in the '95 dread fits the world okay. Yeah, like it's arguably it's closer to the comic. Yeah, um, and 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 you know there there has historically always been challenges in bringing mm-hmm. um, uh, comic uniforms or superhero yeah. uniforms into into movies because mm-hmm. you know often you're like well this looks absolutely ludicrous yes. you know um, and sometimes that results in just everything being black all of the time all of the time yeah. yes um, and look I don't I think you're right in saying that bringing Carl Urban's dread into the 95 dread wouldn't solve the problems and it right. wouldn't solve the problems of either movie. Right. I don't think. Um, you've correctly identified, I think, that whilst the world of um, Stallone's dread is far closer to the yeah. world of the comics, it's it does just kitchen sink it it's like you know maybe there's only ever going to be one dread movie so we need to put every oh, character in. wait hold on let's look let's look just checklist a couple of things abc warriors mm-hmm. um you're the robots cursed earth uh mm-hmm. named judges all of them yeah. magruder hershey i mean the only person they don't put in is anderson um rico the angel gang yep um, I mean, you get mean in there, obviously, but I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so many things. And just a fun fact for those who are Judge Dread comics and a fan of it, I, I quite enjoyed um, the day that the law died, the, mm. the storyline where Judge Dread is um, assassinated or attempted assassination by, I believe, it's Judge Cal. And it's the, then it's the mm-hmm. how do you how do we get rid of Judge Cal? Um, and of course, he has he nominates his successor to be the Goldfish, mm-hmm. um, and he makes the other judge wear a dress. And there's you know there's all sorts of things like that. But the guy who ends that, a character that ends that mm-hmm. whole storyline, isn't Dread. It's a massive, um, he's like a seven foot muscle bound baseball bat carrying mutant that comes lives in the sewers mm-hmm. under Mega City mm-hmm. One named Fergie. It wasn't until recently that I realized that, do you know who's Fergie in the Stallone Dread? Rob Schneider. <laughs> That's the character. Like, it's the same guy. Mm. And you're like, that doesn't make a lick of sense. Mm. Um, and so that was a really poor, and, and it was, you know, he needed the comedy, uh, he needed the comedic sidekick, I guess. But did he, though? It's Dread. Well, I mean. Okay, so, and 
this is probably going to destroy any credibility I ever have with anybody that, that, that likes Dread. Yes. But, Go ahead. Um, you say you're Rob Schneider, you're out. No, I'm going to say, no. I'm Dread having a comedy sidekick character is very in keeping with the comics. True. Um, anybody who's read anything with Walter the Wobot, mm-hmm. you know, knows Love that. It. And, and you know, true. it's not just Dread. This is a very Wagner, John Wagner thing to do. Like if you mm-hmm. look at Strontium Dog and the Gronk, you know, yes, the Gronk exactly. is a very similar character. True. Super goofy, super mm-hmm. silly, um, you know, but also used... Um, you know, throughout the course of the comic and, and uh, given quite some weight and some pretty serious events occur around mm-hmm. these characters as well. Agreed. Um, and, you know, those wacky characters are very much a part of Dread and the Dread universe. True. Um, is Rob Schneider a good part of the 95 Dread movie? Look, he's, he's got some great parts. I won't lie. He's got some great lines. So he does something. Um, there's something at the start of, uh, or the, the first interaction between Dread 95, uh, sorry, one of the first interactions in, in Dread 95 is is between Dread and uh, Rob Schneider's character, mm-hmm. Fergie. Yeah. And it does something well that I feel like, the 2012 film fails. Uh, and that is uh, Fergie is given an extreme punishment. He's, he's mm. um, sent to the ISO cubes, I think, for, for five years, five years mm-hmm. um, for hacking a servo droid or a, something <laughs> to that. Yes. Um, to hide himself during a block war. So he's, he's yeah. placed there. And, and this is, this is, pure dread social commentary like this is very dread stuff where a um uh you know this guy comes back from prison is immediately or comes back from the iso cubes is immediately dumped into one of the worst blocks yeah. um Citizen in yeah he turns in a block war placed yep. in a block war uh and he does what he can do uh to protect himself um and in doing so breaks a law and is then given the full punishment for having broken that law and immediately sent back. So he's given no chance. Like yeah. the system just destroys him. Yeah. And that, and, and, and Jet dread is the agent that, that enforces that, who, yeah. who goes in and, and does that. And that's so central to the dread character yeah. of, you know, like he is blindly, Often blindly enforcing an extremely unjust yeah. system, uh, and the Dread '95 movie goes out of its way right out the gate to yeah. show you that. And I think he follows it up with the line where he's like, "I'm being misjudged," um, or no, I, like wh- I was in the middle of war. Well, I mean, what else could I do? And um, he's like, "Thrown out the window." And Jed said, "Well, at least that wouldn't have been against the law." Yeah, that's right. And that is very Dread comic that mm. line. And I just think, yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, um, yeah. And so to counterpoint that, so um, Dread. 2012 has so its version of this i feel like is um the uh the beggar uh at the front of the oh yeah the city block uh so 
Dredd arrives on the scene of the crime uh, with Anderson in tow and they immediately see somebody begging uh, at the door. And the as part of Anderson's testing, Dredd uh, asks her what the penalty mm-hmm. for that is. Uh, and, you know, she says whatever it is, five years in the ISO cubes or three years, three years in the ISO cubes. Thank you. Um, and uh, she then says but prioritise the murders, and Dredd says, correct, and then says to the man who's begging, um, get out of here, I don't want to see you when we get back. Right. And look, whilst the Dredd of the comics does let people off with cautions, this is something that he does, if you're trying to establish this character as being this... um, you know, blind enforcer of an unjust legal system... Having one of the first things he does is let somebody who's breaking the law off the hook. Yeah. I feel like you're immediately failing that character. Yeah. Uh, And you're also making him seem like he's got a sense of justice outside the law, which... Yep. I feel like the law being his sense of justice is very central to to the Dread character. Yeah. I think Anderson works well, um, just to go back to what you're saying about mm. um, how Fergie is a good comedic and that you know good comedic psychic. While Dread doesn't always have um, a comedic sidekick in the comic books, if you were gonna pull the no humor Carl Urban, look mm. at my chin, Dread, um, and don't get me wrong. I love that character and I want to see the character that the TV series of that character. Yes, and I hope yes. it's still being made. Um, you need to inject some sort of social, otherwise, you know, so, social, emotional, something into the movie from somewhere. Yep. And that's where Anderson comes in. Yep. She's compassionate. She feels bad about shooting people. Um, you know, she feels, she lets people go with extenu- you know, extenuating circumstances. Mm. And so, I think she was necessary in order to prevent the movie yeah. from being all out bloodshed and turning into one of the Punisher movies when mm. they didn't have the social commentary in it. Um, if that makes sense. So I think Anderson was a good mm. counterpoint to dread, although definitely not comedic. Um, yeah. And look, I would argue that, and, and here is a, a very uncontroversial statement. Um, the 2012 Dread is simply a better movie than the 95 Dread. Oh, yeah. I mean, insofar as it is an action movie or any sort of movie, really, uh, the way that it's paced, mm-hmm. the the um, uh, the flow of it, the way the characters interact, the um, how it starts and ends and, mm-hmm. and everything in between. Like, it's concise, it's clever, it... it um, it doesn't lag at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really enjoyable. It's just better as a movie, um, hands down. Now I have I have a, I have a little question to ask you. Mm-hmm. A little trivia here, mm-hmm. and you can play at home, gang. The Stallone Dread movie versus the Urban Dread movie. Mm-hmm. Which one is longer? Think about it for a second. And if you know the answer, do you know the answer? So I think that I do, but only because I very recently, uh, in the last two days, have watched the Stallone yeah. Dread movie and noted that it was 89 minutes or... It's an hour and like 36-something minutes. Yeah, 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 it's quite short. Doesn't feel short, though, does it? Does not feel short. <laughs> no, but 
Do you know which one? So you think that one's shorter? I suspect that one's shorter, yeah. They're the same time. Are they? They're almost identical. Yeah. Um, Carl Urban feels much shorter. Mm. Um, yeah. And look, that's unsurprising, again, just because of how scattershot the um, Stallone dread is, how much it tries to cram in, yeah. how many breaks in the story they take to yeah. to do something different. And you're like, well, why are we off here doing this now? Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah, it feels much longer than it is. It feels way more than an hour and a it half. It does. It um, does. And the, the 2012 dread just goes by at a clip, you know, it just, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I hear you. Uh, and I was so glad that they did honor the I Am The Law and they put it into the the urban movie. Now, of mm-hmm. course, that's from the comic books. Mm. Um, you can hear it in the Anthrax song, I Am The Law. Um, you know, all that. It, by the way, that's how that song has not been either of the movies, mm. I do not know. <laughs> anyway. Um, but he never says, I knew you'd say that. I just don't. <laughs> but that, yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> but and there was, there was a moment at the very end where he's about to throw uh, Lena, what's her name? I can't remember. Mama. Mama. Threw mm. it through the window. Um, and there's and you look at his face and it stops. And I was thinking, having just watched the Stallone movie, mm. and she says something, and he said, and you know, you can literally see him saying, "I knew you would say that." Mm. And I was like, "Oh, please don't do it! Don't do it!" I missed it if he did it the first couple times I saw this movie, and he doesn't. He says something, uh, something else, but that line. Like should have been there. At least it felt like it. I was like, oh, thank God they didn't do that. Because that was, while I Am The Law is from the comic, Mm. I knew you'd say that. No. That was, uh, from my understanding, that's entirely Stallone. Yeah, look, I haven't, I'm not aware of it ever appearing in the comic, or at least not as a catchphrase. Um, And it it is such a strange thing, and I've, got to think this is Stallone I, I might be way off base on that but it's such a strange thing to introduce a catchphrase for a character who already has a catchphrase right uh, say, and is using it in the movie yeah oh. uh, like no I feel like this character needs more catchphrases yeah. uh, and uh, they need to be more representative of, of me you know it's <sighs> so strange yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean I would love to see a Carl Urban movie based around you know actual block mania block war mm. I would love to see something mm. like that or you know get into some of the weird Weird, you know, do something weird like Umpty. Uh, mm, I, I go. Yeah. I mean, I guess Umpty wouldn't work in the in the judge. Sorry, in the urban universe mm. um, because it doesn't have that sense of humor, and everyone's doing hard narcotics anyway. But mm. maybe in the st- if we ever got the Stallone sequel, that could have been <laughs> the stopping the Umpty trade, yeah. which was the sugary sweet that was so delicious that it drove people to uh, commit crimes. But mm. yeah. But you don't get Boeing or no, no judge dark judges. Ooh, yeah. I almost feel like the dark judges could appear in the urban universe, but it would be way too scary. Yeah. And um, Look, I mean, the urban universe as it stands, just from the 2012 dread. I mean, it, okay, so there are psi powers, there's psi judges. Yeah. Um, but that's about as far as it goes into the magical, yeah. you know, into the the, the um, uh, really just off-the-wall stuff that, that the Judge Dread mm-hmm. universe has in, in it. Um, and you probably, oh, look, there probably, there's probably On a way to do Dark Judges, but I don't know if I want to see the blood, you know, the graphic gore. on, the, <laughs> and, and that was one thing that the Urban movie, I think... I got it. It's a dangerous universe. 
can we do stop doing slow-mo shots of skin <laughs> rippling from explosions and like being punctured by bullets? I got it. Okay. Phew. All right. Move on. Mm. Um, I did like I, the idea of slow-mo. Anyway, we're, we're almost in, like 50 minutes in mm. and we haven't talked about the game. But yep. um, I, I did know we, I mean, we did want to spend a lot of time talking about the movies and mm. I think we have. So before we move on though, mm. is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Look, I think um, just touching on your last point, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about the the excessive gore uh, in the 2012 movie, um, and you know, it really delights in in the violence. Yes, and, you know that the scene with the the hot shot. Um, yeah, the guy burns from the inside out of his face. Unnecessary, just, yeah, both unnecessary, and and I don't feel very keeping with the character because right. again, if Dredd's going to shoot somebody, he's just he just shoots, shoots them. them. Yeah. yeah, um, he he uses the tools necessary to get the job done. Yeah, um, he doesn't torture people unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, although he may do things that <laughs> constitute torture. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's um very specific to to the scenario, and in that case, it just felt gratuitous. Yeah. Um. And that brings me to something I feel like, and I, I flagged with you this with you beforehand, yep. uh, Brad. And um, we're about in, to get political, boys and girls. Yeah. So look, um, if you're the sort of person who says I hate politics in my uh, discussion of pop culture, then may, maybe, maybe this fast isn't for you a little bit. Um, but look, when talking about dread, I feel like, and especially in the the current climate it's really important to be clear about how you understand dread the yes. character um and I, I actually um in in doing some reading uh in preparation for this podcast i came across uh, a tweet where someone had said um a person's attitude towards judge dread is a great rorschach test for their views on fascism yes yeah uh and we are talking about our love of Judge Dredd. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we both love Judge Dredd. We yep. both love the... the 2008 um, universe. Yeah. Yep, all that stuff. Um, however, in yes. saying that, Judge Dredd is a fascist character. Uh, he's an enforcer for an oppressive authoritarian state. He's deliberately written as such. He's designed as such. Yeah. He's the character designer, grew up under fascism in Spain, um, it, it you know, there's there should be no confusion that that is what he is designed to be, and it is designed to be a cautionary tale uh, about um, you know the 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 risk of authoritarianism, um, you know what happens with the militarization of police, um, you know slavish adherence to law over. Uh, ethics and justice and so forth. Uh, so when I say, and I think I can speak for you as well, Brad, yes. um, when I say I love Dread, I love Dread in the context of it being satire and a cautionary tale. Uh, and uh, I love that it shows the ridiculousness of that authoritarianism, of fascism. Uh, and, um, you know, I personally am deeply opposed to a fasci- to fascism, to authoritarianism, yes. to oppression, uh, and saying I love dread is in no way uh, should in no way be understood to um, uh, to condone any of those things. Now that does raise an interesting point because uh, I do know there are a lot of people who run. Um 
look at Dread as a straight action character mm. and you know celebrate that. Um, and that is, I mean, the authors themselves mm. um, are very su- super old school, arty lefty types. Yes. Um, and they themselves, I mean, you listened to the Comic-Con panel recently yep. with a ton of Dread authors mm-hmm. who literally discussed and the very first question was like super cop or satire and every single one of them said without you know hesitation satire mm. um which if we look up the dictionary definition mm. the use of humor irony exaggeration or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices <laughs> particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues mm. so i uh yeah yeah, I, and uh, I would like to think that most people who read Dread, consume, you know, the films, whatever, are aware that Dread is a satire. Um, I know that's something we can't absolutely assume, and I do feel like the 2012 film um, does not go out of its way to let you know that it is a satire, um, assuming that it is, and I am. I don't think either of the movies is a satire, <laughs> and I think that's why the 2012 Dread sometimes feels really uncomfortable because mm. he's beating a perp and trying to get him to confess to a crime that if he got him back to the station house, they'd they'd interrogate him and break him. And even Mama's like, no matter how loyal you are, once you go mm. in, mm. you they break you. Yeah. That isn't a very, I mean... Mm. Yeah, and look, there's... Dread certainly is played as a fairly heroic character, I think, in the 2012 film. In fact, he's, you know, again, the Stallone Dread, whilst there's also, I mean, there's so many problems with its depiction of the government of that world and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it's, it actually softens the authoritarian aspects of it where yeah. you've got like the, the head judge actually not being so bad and like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we're doing this for the people and so forth. Um, the, 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 let this badge mean what it meant when I put it on. Yeah. Freedom. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like, <laughs> hang on. In the world of in Mega City One, yeah. there's a reason that the Statue of Liberty is overshadowed by a giant statue of a judge. Like yeah. this is this is not subtle commentary. No, um, there is that judge means the oppression of liberty. It has always done so, yeah. uh, and it is very clear. Oh, yeah. Is it liberty or freedom? He says. I, I can't uh, remember. One or the other. Uh, yeah. One or the other. But um, yeah, and and 2012 dread. There's and this is something i think happens in in can happen in films a lot where you create bad guys that are so bad that any action on the part of the protagonist seems justified and mm-hmm. you know they set up mama and the mama gang like the your first interaction with them is that they skin people alive give them a drug that makes them experience things in slow motion and throw them off a building. And, you know, it's just the most horrific death that you could conceive. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, awful yeah. and it's long and it's torturous and it's terrible. And you're like, well, you know, there's no fate too bad for these people. No, it's, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and by positioning Dread against that, uh, suddenly the actions that he's, t- he's taking seem more reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, there's... There's a little short in, in early Dread comics, um, wonderful one, where it's just 
Dredd sees a guy dropping a candy wrapper on an escalator. Mm-hmm. And he points at, points to him and he says, hey, you stop. And the guy runs and he, um, he knocks over someone in a hospital bed and he grabs a little girl and uses her as a hostage briefly and breaks a whole series of laws as he's doing this. And once, once Dredd catches him, um, Dredd says, well, you haven't done anything. You didn't... You don't have a criminal record. Right. You haven't done anything wrong uh, other than the littering. Like, why Why did you do this? And he says, because I was scared. Yeah. And, and you know, that that doesn't come through in the 2012 movie. That, 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 no. The, the, the um, excessive, oppressive nature of the law in Mega City 1 creates crime. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a self-perpetuating system. It makes things worse. And you do not get... The se- it is the sense you get in the 2012 film is things are so bad that the only way to respond is through excessive violence. Right, um, and that's a, I feel like that's a real shame. And it it is my hope that if if the Mega City One TV show ever does eventuate, yes, that they have an opportunity to uh, to explore this because yeah. Wagner, when talking about his history with the comics, does say. Anytime he felt like he was making Dread too good, he would then immediately follow it up with a strip where Dread was shown to be totally unreasonable and the bad right. guy. Like you know, he counterpointed constantly. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, man, I think you said. I, I. I'm just nodding everything you just <laughs> said there. I'm with you. I'm not. Uh, yeah. I have nothing to value add mm. there other than I could not agree more. Yeah. Well. In which case, rant over. <laughs> yes. Well, no, that's perfect. And I think we will get to the game in one quick second. But before we do, I just want to quickly say, mm. um, when I was watching the Urban Dread just a few minutes ago, um, I couldn't help but notice that I, I didn't realize that Mama's lieutenants mm. um, have her scars. Oh. Um, I didn't realize that. Mm. Um, at least they appear to be. Um, the guy outside the medical center and um, the guy with all the tattoos who holds you know, uses the minigun with Mama... All of those guys have her crisscross scars on her cheek. Hmm. And uh, I, did, I never noticed that before. Huh. And I went, ah, oh, that's cool. Um, and I did like the graffiti in the 2012 mm-hmm. one because it, I mean, clearly like one of the guys, the van at the beginning says Drock on it. And you mm-hmm. have, um, mm-hmm. you know, as, as someone who works in a school, you occasionally see, um, you know, you see graffiti and then people add to it. Um, and so mm-hmm. there was uh, an expletive, and then right before it, you know, or right next to it, somebody had, in a different color with an arrow mm. said, "Eat," blah blah blah. And you're like, "Oh yeah, that that is very fairly realistic." And yeah. so, man, I think they they did a really good job of being realistic in that movie in really clever ways. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I guess it depends on what you want in your dread movie. Yeah. Do you want more cartoony, comic booky, almost mm. aesthetic? Or do you want brutal dread with his helmet on? Yeah, and I think I think that we can find a happy medium somewhere in the middle. But as that we are almost mm-hmm. an hour in, mm-hmm. I think it is time to take thirty seconds and say thank you very much for listening. And uh, I think it is time that we get to the game itself. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I am talking about the two thousand AD um, licensed Warlord Games Judge Dread miniatures game. Now, that is different, obviously, from the Mongoose Judge Dread game, which was also distributed through mm-hmm. Warlord and which caused a, quite a bit of confusion when the game mm-hmm. first came out. 
um, which I own both. And I think the new game that just came out, um, authored by Andy Chambers and Robert Garish. Um, now, Robert Garish, of course, worked on a lot of the Doctor Who games uh, and did a lot of other things, some of the Bolt Action Source books. And Andy, of course, longtime game developer, um, recently has done Blood Red Skies for Warlord. Um, and yeah, super excited about this. And now, of course, Gab Thorpe helped with the original rule set. But let's get into... Judge Dread, 2000 AD, Warlord Games. So, mm. this is a really interesting rule set. It is mm. a skirmish game. I mean, yep. you have a handful of models per side, depending mm. on what you are fielding. And the game itself, if you get it, um, or should I say when you get it, <laughs> you get um, the option to play judges, um, mm -hmm. which you would expect, and gangs, which you expect. But they also have um, stats for you to take a, a great number of other models. You can take specific judges, name judges. Um, of course, if you want to take Anderson and then Gerhardt. And um, you also have different types of judges. They have one of the dark judges, which I think is interesting. You can play Judge Death. But they don't give you the other three. And I know we're going to get to the cost mm. of things in a mm. minute. Mm. Um, but, of course, um, of the Angel Gang, again, you only get one. Uh, mean is in here, but none of the others. Mm. Um, you get, uh, I mean, there's just a ton of characters. You get City Def uh, and how you can do that. You get Fatties. Um, they have the Sky Raiders uh, and, you know, robots. I feel like there's a lot in mm. here to keep you going. Um, but that said, I also feel like there are some notable absences mm. given the characters that are yeah. there, if that makes sense. But I think so. Let's talk about the points of this game. Now, you get. And I know it's not the terminology. It, it, how many? It's credits, is it? Uh, notoriety. Notoriety. So you mm. get 40 notoriety. Is that right? So, well, In a standard size game? So there is no, you know, this is the, the number of points. Um, oh, okay. So Strontium Dog, the predecessor to this, so the, which first introduced this rule set, um, had 40 notoriety as its default value. Yeah, I knew for, I read that somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's the, the models that came in that box in the strontium dog box which was max bubba and his gang, gang and johnny, johnny uh, wolf, wolf and, and the gronk, gronk. Yeah. yeah in both cases add up to ex exactly 40, 40 points yeah 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 so um clear implication there is 40 is what they're pitching as the standard game now that's no longer the case with dread or it's a little bit more ambiguous there is a note towards the back of the book um when it's talking about scenarios i think where it gives three brackets of notoriety and says mm -hmm. for a short game, you want about this many. For a medium game, you want about this many. And for a long game, you want about this many points. And I believe 40 is the top end of the medium okay. category there. So That makes sense given the scope of the game that we played. That's right, yeah. So we when we played, we played around 40, um, 40 notoriety, uh, which for me feels like a bit of a sweet spot. Um, it's worth noting. So... Brad mentioned this is a skirmish game, and skirmish games, um, you know, when you think skirmish game, you think small number of miniatures, um, you know, and a, and a fairly small play area. Um, I'm not sure I have, and I'm sure you've seen rule sets that contain this before, but uh, 
I don't know that I've seen one where an entire skirmish force can be made up of one model, which in uh, this case... Yeah, it's rare. Yeah. I mean, like Sly Marbo in the old 40K universe could be used as like a one-man army. Mm. But if we talk about this, I mean, as I think what you're getting to is Dredd's Dude, yeah. 35 by himself. That's right. And if you give him um, a lawmaster... He's 40. He's 41. 40, 47, I think. 47? The lawmaster is 12 notoriety if I Oh, is it? I, I correctly. That. Yeah. Um, but if you give him a law rod, Mark V, and I'm not sure what that is. That's a gun. It's yeah. a gun. He, it, he's 40 full stop. That's yeah. it. Um, that's 40, period. Judge Anderson's 25 before any upgrades. Um, you know, it, it goes through. I don't think it says it on that particular page. But, I mean, it's interesting. And, of course, mm. Judge Death is 22. Yep. So he's more than half of a crew. Now, mm. there have been situations where, you know, you could have, you know, Judge Death with, I don't know, um, minion lackeys who are scared of yep. him or that yeah. he's mind-controlled or mm. that sort of thing. In fact, he has a mind-control rule. Oh, actually, no, he doesn't. I'm thinking of side judges. Um, but, yeah, there are... Plenty of characters in here that you can take. Um, mm. And so, but I mean, at the smaller end, you could just have uh, Judge Death and then people trying to get him. But I, yeah. I do like um, that you can have Mean lead, you know, with a group of gangs. Yeah. With just yeah. gangers. Um, it, there's so much. And the care, I guess the characteristics that the game has makes the characters kind of feel like the comic book. But when you combine, and I know we'll get to this in a second, mm. when you combine the the war, the war gear cards that you get, like that, mm. and then the Meg City cards, mm. all of a sudden the game comes to life, and it really does mm. feel like the comic book because all of a sudden people have you know judges have ricochet ammo, mm. and um, you know people are throwing Boeing grenades, mm. and you know there's all sorts of you know, stealth suits, and there's all kinds of tech respirator masks that mm. are in the comics, are in the movies, and then all of a sudden, bang, you have it, incendiary rounds that you can put on the tabletop, and, you know, it just feels cinematic. Would you agree? Yeah, so, looks going back to, to the the characters and the way the characters are handled, uh, and the, the um, for want of a better word, the the teams or warbands or, or whatever you want to call them mm. are, are handled. Um, one thing I really like is it is designed to be played asymmetrically. Um, mm. That's that's core to its design. Uh, and that was core to the design of Strontium Dog as well, where mm. the you can see that they started with the idea that you're going to have um, some heroic characters right. who are just superior in every yeah. way to others. Uh, and... Again, even just based on the content of the base box of both games, mm -hmm. um, it's uh, one very small group of very powerful characters right. against a much larger group of less powerful characters. Exactly. Uh, and again, you can see that as being core to the game's design, and I think that's absolutely key in making something like Dread work. Because True. if Dread was, you know, if you if if the game played five judges versus five gangs, it just wouldn't feel like... No, threat. it wouldn't. It wouldn't at yeah. all. You need to have that feeling of being outnumbered, but still have the sufficient capacity or tool set to, to be able to take on the, the greater numbers. Yeah. Uh, and and you can't just do it in a way that is 
like the, the, what old 40k would do where you have you know terminator armor mm. all of a sudden you know they're really hard to hit you know they're easy to hit but they're not easy to kill mm. um you know, and just pile the you know pile the hits on them till they're dead. I mean, that does work, but that tends to be kind of boring and grindy out. Mm. And the way that this game does it, using the star chits, mm. um, I think works really well. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about how the star chits work? Because it is very similar yeah. to bolt action, but it does some, it it has some very big differences yeah. that really gives it its own flavor. Yeah. So. Um, anyone who's familiar with bolt action or, you know, any number of Warlord games, I think, yeah. uh, where there is uh, random activation, right. uh, will be familiar with the, the whole chits in a bag system or right. the, the something in a Order bag system. In a bag. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. So um, each player has a number of chips that are uh, a number of chips more or less equal to the number of models they yes. have. There's some exceptions to that, but generally speaking, it's one chip per mm-hmm. model. Um you randomly pull out a chip from the bag, uh, and that tells you which player is activating, and that player can then choose one of their models to activate with that chip. Correct. Um, so in that way, it's exactly like bolt action. That's right. But then there are different types that's of chip. chips that have a star on them, and yep. that is where it gets different. So star yep. chips... Yeah, so your star chips, um, you uh, haven't... Uh, so first of all, the you get one star chip... Per character, uh, per character with a cool of four or greater, which I'm now getting into nitty gritty of rules. But by the way, I love that they put cool in there. <laughs> it is so old school Games Workshop that I'm so happy it's back <laughs> in a rule system to have a stat for your model for cool. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. So um, the big name characters you know your dread your johnny alpha mm-hmm. um, or your major antagonists you know your judge death all those sorts of characters max bubba max bubba that's it's right sort of a low level one yeah i mean you know max bubba was you know spoilers but he was the one that killed wolf you know like he's mm-hmm. a he's a big bad guy in the in the strontium dog universe right. um although Quick aside, Strontium Dog doesn't have a lot of through characters in the bad guys because Johnny Alpha kills them yeah. <laughs> almost all. So not Pretty many, quickly, yeah. Yeah, not, not many characters survive uh, mm-hmm. from one strip to another. Um, so, yeah, so you, you, your big characters get a star chip. Uh, star chips allow you to attempt to take an activation and then put your chip back in the bag for another activation. Yeah. But you have to test. It's not automatic. Mm. And um, your test... So, for example, a senior judge has a higher cool level than Max Bubba. And so they are more likely to get, for example, their star chip back in the bag. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to sort of balance it out because your, your more expensive characters tend to have a better chance to get the star chip mm. back in the bag. But even the people who do have lots of chances to put them back in the bag, mm-hmm. it's not guaranteed. Yeah, so one of my favorite things about the star chip system is that um, you can use that star chip functionality on any model in the game. Right, so that's cool. You get a star chip per Prote- or p- per main character, per character that's got a cooler four of greater. Mm-hmm. But when you pull it from the bag, you can use it to activate any character you've got on the table. So you can use your lowly, you know, like there's a, a I believe, um, Silent Weird um, mm-hmm. has a, a notoriety value of one. 
Like he is, he's rubbish, yeah. uh, you know, which is fairly fitting because he has absolutely no features, no perception, you know, like he's a, <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, he, he's just a blank ball for his head. Um, but you can use your star chip on him and you can still try and put it back in the bag. However, <laughs> however, um, when you do so, you use his cool value. Now he has a cool of one. Yeah. So you can use it on him, but... You've got a five in six chance of failing uh, to to put the chip back in the bag, which means, um, you know, you've got to really consider, is this the best use of this chip? Um, Could I use it on another character who's got a higher cool Mm -hmm. and then have a better chance of putting it back in the bag? Now, it... As just to reiterate what you just said, you have a one in six chance of putting it back in the bag per point of cool. So if you're right. so if you have like a senior judge who's got a cool of four, you get to roll four dice. Mm-hmm. And if any of those rolled a six, for example, they would uh, the dice would go back and sorry, that, the chip would go back in the bag. Right. I'm too too long spending bolt action. And of course, I say a one in six, and if you rolled a six, but it's bespoke dice. They're symbol mm. dice, so it isn't actually a six. It's a um, it's a special. special. That's what they call a special. It's the the two thousand AD symbol. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, but you know, in our recent game, mm-hmm. um, I came very close, very close to taking down Judge Giant. Oh yeah, uh, with um, oh, probably yeah, my Giant. my gruntest of grunt characters, Lowdown mm-hmm. Ophi. I think he might have been my cheapest character, or certainly among them, um, by gambling on a star chip and succeeding yeah despite his low cool value and managing to shoot you in the back put the chip back in the bag pull it out again shoot, shoot you in, in the, the back, back again. again yeah um, so by the way was not counting on that uh <laughs> i was playing the odds and saying that's really unlikely um and it happened and it happened and and you know but it is a gamble uh, and it's it is. absolutely not guaranteed and i really like that you you've got that risk reward of I could use it on the safer character, mm-hmm. but this guy has a better chance to make good use of it right now, yeah. and I'm going to gamble on that, um, and I might end up getting myself into real trouble doing so, yeah. but I also might take the game. Absolutely. Now, it does. Now this does beg the, and this is one of the things that when I first heard about the system way back when, when I was talking mm. to Gav and Andy on the Warlord cast about Strontium Dog, um, and it wasn't until I played you that you reminded me that... I was worried that if you had a character with this, that they could keep retesting after their opponent was finished with all their activations Mm. and that you would just basically have this heroic character who is walking around popping caps into everyone, smashing face while Mm. your opponent was just sitting there, you know, saying, not in the face, not in the face, please don't (laughs) hit me in the face. Um, But as you pointed out and as um, the authors pointed out way back when, there's actually – it's you actually lose two of your cool points um, once everyone else's activations are done. Once it's the last one, that's it. Um, It's much harder to pull that Mm. off. And if you gamble, it's not just that your model – oh, you don't get your chit back in the bag. If you do do that and you fail, your model takes a pin. Um, And if you're pinned in this game – um, there are negative consequences mm. to that. And the next mm. time you activate, if you don't pass the same test on your model, you only get one of your two activations. Mm. And that's huge mm-hmm. in a game where every model gets two activations per turn, yeah. where you can move or shoot or mm. do a thing. 
um, to have what your model can do in a, in a skirmish game like this, in some cases where you have, like where I was playing the judges, mm. where I had two models, mm. that really, I mean, that, that feels bad. Mm. That is not a good, and so you might gamble to take that extra, to get that extra uh, activation in the turn if it's something you want, mm. but if you don't need to, mm. man, you shouldn't do that unless you, you know, it, again, it's it, there's a lot of gambling in it, and mm. you have to think about risk versus reward, and that, to me, feels like a well-written game where mm. you have to think. It isn't just automatic point and click. Yeah, I, and look, there's... Similarly, when, when um, I read the rules, you know, you get this immediate fear that you're just going to have um, one player just get lucky over and over again and, and run rush shot over the other and, mm-hmm. and get all the activations and the other person gets none. True. And look, this is, you know, for anyone who's played bolt action enough times, you have that round where for some reason <clears throat> yes. you know you've got 12 dice in that bag, but they're the last 12 dice in the bag and yeah. your opponent pulls every one of their dice first and it you just can't yeah. believe it. It's this incredible, like, how is this happening to yes. me? This is the worst. This game is terrible. Everything's broken. I hate it. Um, but yeah, the reality is that's a very rare occurrence. And, and more often than not, what happens is it's a bit swingy. Sometimes someone gets a run of activations. Sometimes the other person gets yeah. a run of activations. And it works to mediate your expectations. So you're never thinking, I definitely have the next go. You know that there's a risk that you won't. Yeah. Um, this similarly in the, you know, and, and given it's only been a handful of games that I played, I have yet to see uh, a, a a series of activations such that it's completely destroyed the balance of the game. That, that right. is, there have been swings one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and uh, As we saw. As we saw, yeah. yeah. And and you had a real bad run there for a while. Yeah, where, where my senior judge failed, to, uh, I mean. Over and over and over. <laughs> so every time I tried to pull, you know, pull his chit out he would fail every single time and then for quite a few of the activations because he was pinned the next turn Mm -hmm. i would fail the pin roll as well so my senior judge only got one out of his two actions again and again and it was super frustrating Mm -hmm. but then later on he was a debt you know it it all came out in the watch exactly he He won won the the game game. yeah um and he won the game because i was able to pop his chit out a second time and it got pulled a second time Mm -hmm. when there were two chits in the bag and his was one of them and max bubba was the other Mm -hmm. and i needed max bubba to not go and (laughs) i needed to go Mm -hmm. so i was able to do that and that worked um so i don't i feel like so if you're looking for a hard-nosed competitive game mm. that you can play in a tournament and you're going to get <laughs> fair, even consistency in every game that you play, this is yeah, not this the is game not for you. <laughs> However, if you're looking for fun, I mean, it is – and when I say that, I, I'm not just saying it's got problems that you need to overcome. I actually don't think that at all. I think it really does come out in the wash. The averages mm. work out that – it, I mean, like bolt action, if you don't like the order dice system, you probably won't like the chit system. Mm. And this almost leans into that a little bit yep. more because of the star chits. Yep. That said, it feels good. I mean, yes, there are some moments where you're like, that that's bad. But that happens in bolt action. Mm. What's the old expression? Bolt action happens? Mm. Well, Judge Dread happens. It's the same thing. Um yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, it's, I mean, 
I think this is a good, what's described as a beer and pretzels game. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a good game to play with, um, well, first of all, it's a good game to play with people who are fans of 2000 AD stuff. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, fans of Judge Dredd because mm-hmm. it's, as you've said, it's got a lot of flavor. Um, it uh, does allow you to run around as uh, a very small forces of judges mm-hmm. taking on much greater odds and um, feeling ultra powerful in doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it... Um, it's, but it is, it is not, it's clear that they haven't gone into this going, we need to, to really make sure that everything is as balanced as it possibly could be. And that there's, you know, like you need to have, there needs to be some, some degree of, uh, gentleman's agreement is probably an archaic term at this point, but you know, a gentleman's agreement, uh, around how, around playing the game and, yeah. and and playing fair and making sure that everyone's having a good time. Yeah. Um, not just, I'm going to exploit cost values and, and you know, um, yeah. try and wring the the best uh, force I can out of the, the yeah. rule set and, and abuse it as, as much as possible because I don't think it will hold up to that. I yeah. don't think it would be a fun game playing it that way. Um, it's just... I, I don't think that's within the design philosophy. Yeah, absolutely, and I could not agree more. Um, as you say, though, I mean, just it's so full of flavor. And, mm. I mean, again, coming back to you get an option of what gear cards your crew gets and what Meg 1 cards you get. Mm. And um, you do get dealt extra gear cards, and then you discard some of them. So you can mm. really flavor the stuff mm. you get to the force. And again, between the special rules of the models themselves, between those gear cards, between mm. the Meg cards, you really do get a 2000 AD experience unlike, and I, I don't get me wrong, I love games like 7TV, and they are also very fun and fluffy, and they have some of the similar cards. But I have rules to play Dread using two th- sorry using 7TV. I think that the Dread game, and I love 7TV, does a much better job of representing that universe mm. than 7TV does, if mm. that makes sense. Um, another thing that really, that I think leans into that and really gets into that narrative play is, and we're going to talk about both of these things. Um, so I'll start with the lesser point and get to the bigger one. Mm. Um, is one characters when they get wounded, um, mm. their stats get worse. Mm. Um, you know, I guess we're, when I was a little kid playing Warhammer Forty Thousand and other games, as my characters were getting wounded, I always sort of wondered, oh, they're just as tough now as mm. when they started. In this game, you deteriorate, and you mm. deteriorate something shocking. Mm. And so, you know, even the ability for you to, like, your cool stat drops for every wound you take. So you actually start, like, your ability to put your star chip back in the bag mm-hmm. suffers badly if you are wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really also gives you the feel of the comic. And you can heal yourself. There are ways of, mm. like, getting behind cover and, you know, trying to patch yourself up. And there's, of course, med packs and things like that straight mm. out of the, the comic book. But then not only does that make it feel narrative, but then you pair that with the missions that are in the book. They feel very judge dready as well where you know the judges are coming on the board and there are people seeing them and running the other direction trying Mm -hmm. to get off the board away from them that feels very judge dread too literally like the comic you just Mm -hmm. described Mm -hmm. and that's in there so i think that those two elements combined with everything else Mm -hmm. we talked about really does make this game 
feel super cinematic and narrative. Um, mm. So let's go back to the di- the diminishing attributes. Um, did you mm. want to touch on that? Or yeah. So look, this is uh, this is actually one of my my um, favorite aspects of the game. I, I really mm. like the way the wounds system is handled um, because so every time you are you take an injury or uh, uh, which might be a uh, a permanent injury or mm-hmm. a, a stun, which is equivalent to an injury. Um, you every stat you have is dropped by one. Yeah. Every stat that includes yeah. your movement. Mm-hmm. So your movement drops an inch. Your cool drops a stat. Your shooting stat drops. Your fighting stat drops. Um, and you'll often get into the situation where. You know, say you've got a cool of four and a shoot of three. If you take three wounds, you're still alive, but your shoot stat is now zero, which means that um, without any other modifiers on it, you you can no longer shoot, um, and you really need to you really yeah. need to address that. You need to do something oh, yeah. about it. Um, so, characters that start super tough can be whittled down. Um, you know through the course of the game. And, and again, we saw this with Judge Giant mm-hmm. where I was able to get him down to a cool of one from from five, I think he starts at. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so sorry, Senior Street Judge, I think is the, yeah. the actual card we're using. Um, but yeah, so it, he... Um, no, sorry, we could only drop him to two because he had a special I was about to say, he's he got a special rule. Fortitude. Yeah. fortitude, yeah. yeah. Um, so he ignores the first injury. But... Um, yeah, but his stats were so reduced that he went from being this super soldier to uh, having to yeah. just limping around and mm-hmm. failing at everything he tried to do uh, until you were able to actually hide him behind something and heal him. And, and it was the the, um, the the your your street judge your mm-hmm. your um, uh, quote unquote rookie, yeah, uh, who came in and managed to. Um, clear the field a little bit for him to give him that opportunity to heal up yeah. that let him then win the game. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it's a it's a really exciting thing where uh, the the as the underdog or as the player who's got um, less capable characters, you can whittle down those uh, those those big tough yeah. opponents. Um, having said all of that, of course, Judge Dredd. Never lose, never suffers yeah. from stat loss. Judge Dredd is always Judge Dredd, which is why he's thirty-five points. Yes. Whereas, um, even the super street judge that I was playing the other day was nowhere near that. It's Twenty-three, um, I think. Yeah, twenty-three. Yeah. And so, I mean, sure, Judge Dredd's only twelve more, but uh, for twelve more, you can get a whole other judge. Uh, literally, uh, a street judge, regular street judge, is thirteen. Yeah. Um, and if you wanted to get a white helmet rookie, it's 11. So, oh, I mean, but yeah. also there's, you know, if we're going outside the judges, there are, uh, um, you know, you can, you can pick up, uh, uh, characters for two, three, you know, yeah. notoriety. Like there's, there's some low cost, uh, gang juves are literally two gang yeah. punks are three, the gang heavy. And when I say heavy, it isn't like Necromunda where they're carrying a heavy mm. weapon, which I found confusing at first. Mm-hmm. That just means that they're like the big dog. Um, they're yeah. five. And then if you really want to get into like a big named character, you can have a block gang lieutenant for 13. Now what's cool about, and I, sorry, I'm going to sideline here for a little mm-hmm. bit. The what's, I mean, the judges get fairly standard equipment and then you can upgrade them 
um, through the the equipment cards and or by the rules that are in the book. The loot, the the block gang though, you, there's a slew of options that you can mm. upgrade each and every model one way or another to really give them a the flavor, but also b um. I don't know it to match your models. Like you can really give your crew character mm. and feel like you're invested in them, and I think it's great. So this actually speaks to something. So for for anyone who's actually um, read through or played Strontium Dog and um, is looking at Dread, this actually speaks to one of the the differences in the two games mm. uh, that I found quite interesting. So Strontium Dog. Uh, was almost exclusively named characters. So um, it did have rules for building your own characters, mm-hmm. um, but all the costed characters listed were named characters. Dread has got a list of just ganger, you know, gang punk, gang juve, you know, this is how much it costs to buy something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Strontium Dog had a collateral system that I'm not going to get into. This is more just for those people who have mm-hmm. seen that. That's gone in Judge Dread. So instead of having uh, a random collection of extras that you might add onto your force as you had in Strontium Dog, Judge Dread, you just pay for what you're going to get. So you yeah. say, I want, you know, four juves and they're going to um, mm-hmm. cost me eight notoriety all up. I want, you know, two two gang heavies and they're going to cost me 10 notoriety all up. So you're, you're calculating exactly and there's points values specifically for those unnamed grunt characters Yeah. Um, that Strontium Dog didn't really... I mean, it was... There were rules for it, but it wasn't didn't appear to be encouraged mm-hmm. in the way that the game was set up. And I, I like that. That mm. feels better to me because you're paying for what you get. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I, I think really does make sense. Yeah, and look, it also allows you to, um, I mean, a lot of the comic strips are Dread facing off against a number of either unnamed or virtually unnamed mm-hmm. characters. You know, there's a lot of expendable characters in there, and it's good to be able to to sort of set that up so you have... Your name, judge, and then a whole bunch of mooks that you mm-hmm. uh, that they're taking down, uh, rather than it's always got to be this collection of specific named characters. Yes, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I think one of the things I mean we talked about a few min- a minutes ago was the feel of Mega City One, and Mega mm-hmm. City One should feel crowded. And the, the yep. Stallone Dread movie, mm. you saw people everywhere. And mm. in the comic book, you see people mm. everywhere. And one of the things that I really like about this game is there are rules for the average citizen. Um, mm-hmm. You can have crowds in this mm-hmm. game. Um, and there are rules for what they do. And it's random. You don't control them. Um, and, you know, whether you want to put them in your table, sorry, on the table or not, mm. that's up to you in the mission. But... They're there, and I just think it's cool that again you're acknowledging. Again, it's a narrative feel. Mm. It 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 it's it spreads the universe. It stretches it out, so it feels like you're in the middle of an actual city with citizens. Mm. Um, now, I did notice that you know not everyone likes to paint you know NPC yeah. citizens when you're spending all your time mm-hmm. painting judges and painting citizen. Uh, sorry, uh, gangers slash 
miniatures for other game systems. I, I get that. Um, if this is a side fun game you want to play with your friends, this may it, you may have a project for a tournament or you know an event that you also have to paint. So I understand that. But um, I did pick up a, a pack of the silhouettes mm. um, from Knights of Dice, yeah. and man, they look good. And it's just um, uh, laser cut acrylic in sort of a a, uh, a gray color of the outline. So it looks kind of like a shadow of a, of a person. And there's ten of them in a pack, and I got it for twenty dollars from a shop. I think it's even cheaper from their website, and it it's cool. You can put it on the tabletop. And um, it's almost like they don't matter because they're just mm. shadowy outlines, but they're still on the table. Mm. And I think, again, to have that on the tabletop, I mean, if you have the time and the inkling to go out and especially with contrast paints and everything else that's happening these days, you could easily paint up some citizens and throw them down. Maybe not put the same detail in there. Maybe you do if you really want to do that. Um, painting the citizens of Mega City One is probably would be fun. I mean, there's some pretty wacky outfits out there. <laughs> but... Um, does that make sense? Like, I really like mm. that that's there. Um, I think it's fun. And I think, again, it adds a lot to the universe and the game itself. Yeah. And look, I I think the um, the Citizens rule set, it certainly isn't something I would use in every game. Um, right. Because, you know, they, they do have uh, an activation system and you're going to be rolling for them and moving them around and so forth, um, which, you know, in some games, you might not want to bog it down by, by doing that. But... It, the rules being in there and you being able to play that thematic game of, mm-hmm. all right, we're actually going through a crowd here and, you know, um, whereas your your bad guys, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> um, you, yeah. you know, may not be all that fussed about accidentally shooting a, a civilian. Yeah. Um, your judges, you know, are heavily penalized for doing so mm-hmm. um, in the fluff. And... You know what? This brings me to something really interesting about this game yeah. that I really like, but I think it also really speaks to the nature of the game. And yeah. that is, and I can't remember the word for it, it is the, um, what's the conviction thing called? The oh, um, I'm looking for it. So, yeah, there's, um, there's an entire section on... Um, the of course now I can't think of it, but the uh, sentences. If a sentencing, judge, yes, yeah, of sentencing. course. Yeah, there's a whole section on sentencing, uh, and unless you're playing a campaign, this has literally no effect on your game. Like it, it does yeah. not. Um, it it happens post game, uh, and it's completely irrelevant to whether you're going to win or lose mm-hmm. the uh, the thing. But the rule set contains within it a way to calculate or to identify the sentences of everyone you take down yeah. to sentence them. There's there's mechanics for duration of sentence mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And it, that really speaks to, again, like this is a dread game and it, it it's designed with that in mind and it, it is um, everything about it has that, that flavor inherent to it. Mm-hmm. I love that they included those rules. It absolutely was not necessary. Um, no. And uh, it's great that uh, that they're in there. Yeah, especially given that some of the some of those sentences, I mean, literally, if you're playing fun one-off games like we were, they're, as you say, they're completely useless. Yeah. But the fact that you can still roll, uh, yeah. that's 15 years in the ISO cubes, punk. Yeah. yeah cool, fun. Uh, yeah. 
what other rule set can tell you how many years in an ISO cube you get for public boinging? You know, exactly, <laughs> right? Is, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, clearly, I mean, obviously, we talking to Andy, um, massive 2000 AD fan. I mean, all Roger um, and Gav. We're all massive 2000 AD fans. And the guys from Warlord, Paul Sawyer, is a massive Judge Dredd fan as well. I know a lot of the Warlord guys are. So it makes perfect sense mm. that all of the universe got crammed into this game. And unlike the Stallone movie, mm. it fits. Mm. Like, it doesn't feel longer than it does. The games are short, sharp, punchy, and fun. Um, and man, it just it feels good. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I, I have really enjoyed the games I've played so far. Um, I think, you know, there's things that uh, you're going to have to work with your opponent to, you yeah. know, we had a foot race game where we discovered that the um, the distance to the board edge was more or less a single move. Um, and, yep. you know, uh, so in doing that again, we'd have to sit down and go, okay, how big does the board need yeah, to be? How are we going to bog it down? Larger. Like, what, mm -hmm. what's, How are we going to make this work so it's fun? And again, that's the sort of game it is. It's where you sit down and go, how are yeah. we going to make this? Uh, how are we going to have a fun game? What yeah. situation are we going to set up? Mm -hmm. What is this going to represent? Uh, and and how are we going to make this as fun as possible for, for everyone that's playing? Yeah. Uh, and, um, and just go with it. Yeah. Yeah, but, and again... I think going back to something I said before, I mean, g looking at your beautifully painted models on an mm. actual city board, and but we also talked about how you could put desert terrain down and play cursed earth. Yep. Just having those models um, for, uh, you know, a license that we both love, mm. having, you know, or IP, whatever you want to say, characters from that universe on the tabletop and then being able to push them around and having them do what they're quote unquote supposed to do. They feel like those characters and the fact that you're able to play out those games in a narrative and beautiful fashion, man, it feels good. Like it mm. just, this, I am like, I expected to like this game. I, I am pleasantly surprised that I like it more than I probably thought I would. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be honest there. I, I wasn't expecting, you know, to really love this game. And then mm. sitting down and playing it, damn, it felt good. Mm. Um, to the point where now I'm like, how do I slide some <laughs> gangers and a couple of judges into my painting mm -hmm. queue mm -hmm. um, just so we can play? And we have um, a 2000 AD day coming up. Was it the 1st of February? Or are we still First figuring March, out? 1st of March, I think. 1st of March, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I got a little bit of time. And if you're in Melbourne listening to this and you want to mm. play 2000 AD, please contact the podcast because we are going to mm -hmm. have a, a day. And, I, you know, it's not going to be uh, a tournament. It'll just be going mm -hmm. to probably good games in the city with some friends, setting up some tables and just mates playing games. So hell yeah. I think that'll be that'll be excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, one, probably one final thing I'd say mm -hmm. uh, about this game is um, I think it's a great gateway game. Yeah. Uh, I have played it now with That's a, good point. a yeah. couple of people who are, uh, who are not tabletop wargamers, mm -hmm. um, who, who have never played tabletop wargames before, uh, and they got the rules very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a simple system. Um, this is maybe a little bit exceptional, but I did strip down the rules a little, and my five-year-old daughter was able to play this with Lego. So nice. Uh, again, I'm not saying that's 
uh, the game is by standard that simple, but uh, you know it is very approachable. It's yeah. very simple. The core box, um, even without painting, there'd be very little work you'd need to do to actually, you know, have a crack at it. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I, I um, yeah, I'm a fan, and and enc- encourage people to try it out. Absolutely. And again, I mean, in the core box, as you say, the Strontium Dog Box, you get. You know the the three heroic models, and then you get the five villain models, yep. and it balances to be the same points. Yep. Um, Dread, you could definitely do that with the two judges, depending on what how you kit mm. them out and how what experience level you give them. And the same with the gangers. Mm. Um, but you have the two judges and the six gangers, eight gangers, eight gangers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. So you get a pile of models in this box set, and um, yeah, it just. Uh, I, I get the feeling just opening the box and putting it down on the table, you can really just get some good games in. And the replayability, mm. I mean, we played two games where I ran the same two judges and you ran the same five gang guys mm. um, and, you know, didn't feel old. No, I, I wasn't no, tired no, of playing no. it. I was happy to. And I have a very short attention span <laughs> with these things. And so for me to be like, cool, let's play some more games. Cool. And I only had two models. And for mm. me, you know, to hold my attention span with two models mm-hmm. in a game is saying something. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think that I think that should be mentioned as well. Now I think I've run out of all of my talking points for today, <laughs> but um, John, I think that was a very good way of summing it up. I think it is. It has the hallmarks of a warlord game in that it's easy to pick up, mm-hmm. um, but it's got tactical depth. Yeah, and it, again, it, it's all about how it feels, and I think it definitely feels the right way for what this game what you'd expect of wanting to put 2000 ad scenarios uh situations Mm -hmm. on the tabletop yeah absolutely i would agree with that right on well guys i think uh that is an hour and 40 minutes in i think we may call it Mm -hmm. a day now that is a little long for cast ice but we did want to sort of combine a movie watching slash character discussion with a gaming uh discussion which is a little different from the cast as you normally hear it if you liked this, um, if you like the idea of having a lengthy discussion of maybe something, a book or a movie at the beginning and then the gaming aspects at the end, uh, let us know. Uh, go to the Cast Dice Podcast uh, Facebook page. You can find it by going to Facebook and typing C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E and uh, message the page. You will get one guy. That's me. Uh, my name's Brad, and I will respond as soon as I get your messages. I have had a few people say, oh, I'm surprised how long it took you to get back to me. Um, that was because when they messaged, it was the middle of the night in Australia. <laughs> and I'm sorry, guys, I turned my ringer off at night. Anyway, um, guys, please message. And again, for all the people who have been sending lovely messages in the new year about um, you know, wishing me well for 2020 and um, you know, happy new year, thank you very much. As always, it is very appreciated. And outside of today, we're I actually am looking at a human being. Um, it is a little, uh, it, which is a little strange because I'm finding myself staring at the same spot that I always stare at when I'm <laughs> podcasting. And poor John's like, I'm not sitting over there. I'm over here. And um, yeah, it, it's where my eyes go when I think. Um, it is a, a very, uh, I think today's podcast has proven that I do tend to do this in isolation. And so having that contact with the outside world by having y'all message in is great. Um, Thank you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I think it is about that time. I think that means that we have to quote our good friend Casey. As always, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. 
I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Good night. And that track.